Welcome to Cup of Cuppy Blue, your yes, Virginia, there is going to be a full 162 game season home for Cubs news, updates and banter. We are the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and hopefully all of the guys who are about to sign with the Cubs plus CBA shenanigans at Bleed Cubby Blue. And I am thrilled to be joined by Danny Rocket, host of the Sun Ranto podcast and co-host of Cup of Cubby Blue. Danny, how are you tonight? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm happily surprised because I had given up. I thought that this round of talks had been uh, broken down and that they were going to walk away from the table. And I thought that I had been fooled by Bob Nightingale, not once, but twice. And that I got my hopes up only to have them dashed. But instead today out of the cinders, a Phoenix rose and uh, baseball is back. And I, I feel, I mean, I'm, I'm sure anybody listening to a baseball podcast feels the same way today, which is relieved, confused. Um, also, I mean, there's a lot to digest here and I know we're going to get into it all. So I won't even start the conversation until uh, we're ready to unleash. But I, I guess my overall feeling is I'm relieved that I don't have to talk about the things we were talking about before, which is, you know, greed and <laughs> avarice and <laughs> religious and greed r- religious greed yeah the special <laughs> kinds of greed like we made up new <laughs> categories of greed just because of what was going on and now we don't have to anymore so i'm just happy something got done and for at least maybe a day <laughs> we can uh <laughs> Just be happy until we wake up tomorrow and realize that the Cubs stink. So, but until that point, we'll all be excited until we wake up tomorrow. I mean, the Cubs might not stink by the time we talk tomorrow. They might go sign Carlos Correa. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah. All things are possible in this new world with baseball. I mean, I sort of thought of this. I was listening to a podcast from The Ringer that I really like. Um, called the Press Box on the way home from a lucky manicure appointment. And I do believe that manicure is definitely lucky. Uh, <laughs> was talking about how uh, baseball writer Twitter was freaking out because they were about, they had all of their, the 100th day of the lockout is upon us stories, ready to rock. <laughs> and MLB said, no, let there be baseball. And you it's know the- what? All of those stories can just like hang out and never be published. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> it, it's it's the Betty White of baseball stories. Oh man. Uh, too soon. Everybody, I mean, you know, People Magazine, it had already hit the Walgreens shelves. I saw it like Betty White's 100. Let's all celebrate. They're like, actually, she died. But this is the the anti Betty White in in that uh, we all thought baseball had died and instead it lived, I guess. Um, Yeah, it turns out the rumors of baseball's demise were very premature. (laughs) So, no, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, it's it's still not going to be a normal year, you know, it's going to start a little bit later. We're going to have some extra double headers, which me and Ernie Banks are thrilled about. So, I mean, do you want to get into the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, how this, what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. We have a lot to cover here. Uh, we will try to keep this, you know, as concise as possible, but there's an entire new CBA to talk about here. So first let's just talk about the fact that the deal is ratified for a 162 game season Yes, those first week of games are not going to happen, but they will be rescheduled. 
throughout the season. Those are nine inning doubleheaders now, not seven. Also, the Manfred man is dead. There are no more runners on second and extra innings. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus. No more zombie runners. So, you know, there is there is a God here. Uh, opening day will be April 7th. The Cubs will open at Wrigley Field playing the Brewers. I will be there. Danny, I imagine that you will too. How are we feeling about seeing the Cubs and Brewers play on April 7th? I haven't really digested what it means for me personally because, uh, you know, I have a band, the Bleacher Bump Band. We play rock and roll oftentimes on opening day. So I was like, okay, now I have to figure out how that all works out. And you know, is it a night game, a day game? Like, how is that going to work? It's a 640 start <sighs> on a Thursday. Yeah, exactly. I haven't digested it yet. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to play. I mean, I, I, I guess we're a pregame band now instead of a postgame. I mean, it's all, it's all great. Um, I don't like opening day should be in the daytime. I'm glad it's a Thursday instead of a Monday because that's a dumb day to have an opening day <laughs> if like you're trying to grow your sport, you know. But um, you know, Thursday's a, it's a fun drinking day. Thursday's a great day to get drunk. It's like, you know, pregame in your weekend and stuff like that. So, and we all know what Wrigley field looks like on an opening day. What I'm afraid of with a six forty start on an opening day at Wrigley field is the fact that people have that much extra drinking time because I've seen, <laughs> sh- I mean, you know what I mean? Cause they're going to open it. It's like St. Patrick's day. And it, it's what it's like. St. Patrick's day is the warm up to opening day, which is what that's going to look like. And I mean, I've taken some photographs and they're none of them are pretty of opening day by Wrigley field. So, so we'll, we'll see what we get six forty. We'll see what kind of crowd shows up, but um, either way, I bleach or bump band will play. And I'm just happy that they got the full one sixty two yes, in the schedule agreed. right now, because otherwise it really does feel like we're not getting a normal season and something's going to be unbalanced. And well, it would have held up the negotiations even more. If you had to add in to an already contentious bargaining cycle, how much are we going to pay these guys to play 154 games or 148 games or whatever the new number would have been? I just feel like that wrench would have, it would have messed up the entire deal. Like I think the fact that they were able to come to some agreement and we're going to talk about how they got there um, that allowed them to play 162 game season really probably saved the season and saved the deal. Yeah. And overall, I do feel like there was pressure on both sides to get a deal done in the fact that there were two really strange seasons in 2020 and 2021 that didn't, even 2019 was weird, like with the juiced ball and, yep, you know, totally. you know, it's all been strange and they've got to write the ship from both sides. And, uh, I feel like both sides felt the pressure and, uh, well, let's get in the nitty gritty of the deal. I mean, it, were you, were you kind of, um, I was a little bit taken aback in the fact that the owners voted 30 to nothing. <laughs> because I was like, well, and the I players guess. did not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they did it, you know? So I'm like, well, but you know, the owners were going to win because they're the ones with the money and that's how things are going to work for the time being until, uh, I don't know, the, until the revolution comes. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Even just, <like> revolution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I won't get into that. This is a family show, but <laughs> you know, 
but it I did find that the unanimous vote amongst amongst the owners is pretty telling um in how it we should view it overall um it is an owner friendly deal i think we were all expecting that anyway what's funny is that that 8 to nothing rejection from the executive committee which i guess i've heard that it, or somebody tweeted anyway i forget who that it was uh five to nothing no no five of the eight were um boris clients so did you see that i did i i actually think that the scott boris thing is a bogeyman that has been put out there by mlb to be like oh the players are so greedy and scott boris is (laughs) the reason your favorite player will never sign with your team because he wants all the money so i like i kind of pushed the boris thing aside i actually think something different happened and Eugene Friedman, who, again, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you need to get th- get on that, um, had, a, had a really interesting take here because it is odd for the executive committee to unanimously reject a deal that then the membership votes for. And, and my take is that I think that the negotiations were so contentious. The league kept coming back with so many things that the players were like, Hey, you, you slid that in there. We didn't see that before. Oh, all of a sudden the international draft is tied to the qualifying offer. That's new. Like all of these 11th hour shenanigans that if you were on the executive committee and you were in the room dealing with this all of the time, you were probably kind of like F these guys. You were just like, I I don't trust them. This isn't good. We need to get more out of this. We need to get more. And I imagine that, you know, the Ian Haps of the world, Ian Happ is the Cubs players rep, sitting at home who are not in that boardroom day after day being lied to, to their face during the negotiations, probably were like, actually, from from 40,000 feet, this deal makes some gains we really like. It is a substantial minimum wage rate ways for the players with the least amount of service time. It keeps it, it develops a pre-arbitration pool of $50 million, which is way more than they than I thought they were going to get. It increases the CBT. It does add a new threshold there. We'll call it the Steve Cohen tax, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but there's a lot of wins for the players here. And actually, the win that I think is most telling, the one that I like the most, and I'm honestly stunned that the league agreed to it, is on the rules changes. So, you know, we talked last time on the episode that went up on Monday about how MLB wanted to just be able to make rule changes with 45 days notice, they wanted to just be able to say, and the bases are bigger and the shift is banned with 45 days. And it sounds like what the players got them to agree to is, yeah, there is a 45 day notice period, but any rule changes will be evaluated by a committee that is comprised of four active players, six members who have been appointed by MLB and one umpire so that none of those changes are just happening because Rob Manfred said so. They will all have some feedback from players and umpires and people in the game. And that is such a better process than Rob Manfred just dictating from on high. And now the shift is banned. (laughs) Like I just, I don't know. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to love in here. If you were not in the room wanting to punch the guys who you were negotiating with the whole time. And that's what I think happened. (laughs) Four active players. I mean, four active players, six members, which is more than four. Yes. uh, Appointed by MLB appointed and one umpire. And so like, I don't, I'm I'm not actually seeing that this is a fair committee. Uh, Basically they can still shove things through with the appearance of democracy 
um, is kind of what I see about this. This isn't like something that needs to be approved by, you know, the teams like the CBA just was uh, approved uh, through, well, 38 votes, I guess, um, by players. And um, so, I mean, the if you're going to change the rules, I mean, I kind of don't care. And I'm just glad it's done. It's weird that they asked for 45 days. It's not weird. I mean, why are you, why are you asking for 45 days? Like, why aren't you just being like, and in the winter we can think of new rules and put them in. Like, what is the 45 day thing about? That means like in the middle of a season, you could change the rules is what they want the power to do. And why do they want that power is, I mean, I don't know. Do you know? Well, actually, and so this is, I didn't actually link this in the show notes and I could be misremembering it. I think I saw one of the blue check marks tweet that this 45 day clock is during the off season. So it's not like you can change the size of the bases or the shift during the season. It's something that can happen with 45 days notice during the off season. And, and what, I could be wrong that on even, that. So if I am wrong on that, I apologize. But well, but even if it was in the season or off season, like, what does it even mean? Like, okay, in 45 days, the bases are going to get two inches bigger. Okay. These so bases what do you, brought what do you to you do? by Roman. I'm telling you, if MLB does not do that, like, what are they even doing here? Why do you have a marketing department at all? Uh, <laughs> that is true. I mean, but, but what does it do to your ge- – to your game like do you now just get faster people who can reach that extra two inches of roman base to- <laughs> <laughs> we are gonna call them the roman bases the roman it's gonna be base. amazing <laughs> every stolen base brought to you by roman and like he's in safe <laughs> oh god he's in safe never mind i i don't i'll stop now this is this a, family a family show, show. still yeah. i promise people this is still a family show no i mean i i hear you it's what does it do but it's better than the alternative, which as far as I can tell was Rob Manfred di- just dictating stuff from the commissioner's office. And I, I think that that's sort of where I view a lot of these committee things, because it's not just the rules changes that will go through a committee now. Another thing that is going to go through a committee, this international draft issue, which if look, mm. if you're like super online and we're paying attention to Twitter as the negotiations sped up, then broke down during the second of Bob Nightingale's false alarms. You know that the international draft went from being a thing that was not talked about at all to like the most important thing that was going to scuttle the entire season. And it was, it was just kind of mind boggling how quickly that happened. That so last changed. minute, that's one of the last minute things that totally. they were doing that you just said. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, and I want to talk about this a little bit because I think there's a couple of things here that haven't really been covered in other places and I want to make sure we cover them. So the first is that. The international draft, as far as I can tell from tweets from Max Scherzer, from Francisco Lindor, from some other players, was not, is something that the owners have wanted for a long time, but was not tied to anything in the CBA in a meaningful way. Like, we'll give you this if you give us an international draft until yesterday at the very last minute when they conditioned the international draft on removing the qualifying offer for free agents. So if you are not familiar with the qualifying offer and how it works, that's totally cool because it's a bit of minutiae in MLB. But what it basically means is that uh, teams as a player is about to become a free agent can sort of hang the qualifying offer on them and say, Hey, we will give you a one-year deal for, I believe last year was $17.5 million. It's whatever the median of free agent salaries is um, $17.5 million for one season. If you take it, you come and you get paid $17.5 million by us. If you don't take it, 
any team that signs you loses a draft pick. And because of how prospects are prized in MLB these days, because they are cheap labor who you are going to control for a very long time, getting saddled with that qualifying offer really hurt a lot of free agents' ability to go out and sign the big deal. So the owners came back and conditioned the international draft on removing the qualifying offer, which is something that a lot of the players really want. And it was telling because the, well, I'm not going to use Ken Rosenthal's terminology because honestly, it really kind of upset me last night and I tweeted about it and got kind of ranty on Twitter, which I don't normally get ranty on Twitter. So this is one of those times where I was. Oh, I missed um, this. No, please, please rant well, on. I would like be, to hear. Because Ken Rosenthal referred to it as a very vocal minority of players from Latin America who object to an international free agent draft. And I just wanted to say, yes, you mean the players who were international free agents who got life-changing money for themselves and their families because of the way the current system works that would be cheated out of that money by a draft that the owners only want so they can control the amount of money that gets spent on international players. And like when we talk about international free agents and look life-changing money in baseball is life-changing money and it's life-changing money if you come from a rural town in utah and it's life-changing money if you come from venezuela but when you come from venezuela that is life-changing money that affects not just you not just your immediate family not just your like extended family like you're probably taking care of every person in your town that has your surname that you know right like the way that players from the dominican republic players from venezuela sign these deals and then become like the scion of their town and the person who takes care of everything is so fundamentally different from anything that Americans can process. And the idea that the blue check marks were referring to this as like, oh, they're just a vocal minority is Mm. so offensive to me. Yeah, they're a vocal minority who understands the difference between living on $2 a day and getting offered a million dollars to play baseball. (laughs) Yeah, I, I went to a place called Altamira which is uh, in in the mountains of the Dominican Republic, which is where Bartolo Colon is from. And the fire truck at the firehouse was bought by Bartolo Colon, and it has Bartolo Colon's name on the front of the fire truck. It says, I took a picture of it. It's on a, a Bleed Cubby Blue article from like 2015, I want to say. He also he gave the money to his aunt to uh, run the car wash. He also built a built a giant stadium for kids to play in in Altamira, where there are chickens that lay eggs that the kids eat to go and to fill themselves up before they go play baseball all day. And in and he's got his own museum of his cars and the jerseys that have been gifted to him by multiple Dominican players because he's trying to build something in the town and. You know, Bartolo Colon put Altamira on the map, as far as I could see, and um, it's it, it and it's I got to be somewhat careful here because you know it's a big world, and everybody, like you said, two dollars a day and twenty dollars just to wake up in Chicago. You know, is kind of how right. it feels. You know, yeah. and so you're looking at like different ways that we're measuring things, and uh, you know, we all measure by quote unquote money, but uh, there are different ways that everybody is valued. And th- I think when I zoom out and I look at why the owners would slip this in, in the last minute, it would be to divide the players Correct. between the Latin players who are coming from these situations 
uh, where people are earning $2 a day and I, and we don't have a fire truck, so I have to buy one. And I'm also going to pitch for the Mets and be terrible at hitting, or I'm going to be, um, you know, one of these like, you know, uh, California kids who comes through travel ball and, you know, has all the privileges of, uh, you know, advanced metrics and wearables that you can get all the uh, data from and a, and a hitting coach that, you know, that played minor league baseball and almost made the majors until he hurt his wrist. You know, all those are two different worlds that that major league baseball players are, are funneled from uh, into the MLB. And if you can pit the Island guys who would, you know, John Baker said one day on a John Baker day show that we had uh, the, the Cubs mental skills coordinator now works for the pirates, but he said, a, a player said to him, he's like, either I could be folding uh, towels at a resort in the Dominican Republic, or I could be playing baseball and I knew which job I'd rather have. So I, you know, tried as hard as I could at baseball. And, you know, that's, I'm, I'm rambling on here, but I feel like the ultimate motive of the owners by bringing up this international draft and I mean, putting it to the forefront and it's got to be negotiated now is to divide the players ultimately into the let let the Latin players and the, the, uh, the white players, frankly, the, the American players. And there are some black players uh, that are Americans in that category, but you know, that's also been a dwindling situation which has been well-documented as well. So I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, you're 100% right here. And look, I I mean, I think the tweet, the exact text of the tweet I sent when I read that paragraph from Ken Rosenthal was, I, I had like asterisks on it, like it was an action. And I was just like screams and Espanol. Like I was so angry at the, I, the way he characterized it. It was like, oh yeah, this shouldn't be that big of a deal. It's just a vocal minority. I'm like a vocal minority that is 30% of the league that has a fundamentally different understanding of what this game can do for their livelihoods than everybody else. Like how dare you brush this off as something other than a wedge issue that they're trying to divide the union on. Well, and the players said it like Lindor came out and, and tweeted something. They felt strongly enough to come out. Uh, Big Poppy came out. I don't understand the fundamentals of, how the owners are going to get over here, but there's something that they're doing that it's, it's at least a red herring to distract from other issues, to get something they want. Like there's, if, if you ask for something, there's a reason you're asking for Correct. it. So, and for all the Latin players to come out strongly against it right away, like instantly, like powerfully came out against it be like, no, this is a bad idea. This is a complicated idea and this needs to be studied, which now they're going to study it. And so maybe it's good that ultimately we'll come to a more fair solution. Well, and, and to be clear, like I love the compromise that came out of this. Look, the international free agent system has a lot of problems too. Like it, it yes, some people are making life changing vil village changing money, other people are literally being trafficked. They're being signed when they're 13, 14 years old by people who are less than reputable. Terrible things are happening. So I'm not saying the international free agent system as it exists currently is great, but I think that studying it is the right idea. And I like that what they came up with is that I think they have to agree to the terms of what an international free agent draft would look like. 
by sometime in July of this year. And if they don't do that, the qualifying offer just stays the same. Like it will be the qualifying offer as we all knew it. And there won't be an international draft until later. But I, I like that solution as opposed to what I thought was going to happen and what it sounded like a bunch of the blue check marks were calling for last night, which is, oh, this is such a small, deep, small, small little minutia thing. Yeah. Just like throw it in and get, get baseball back. And I, you know what, to every single person that was out there, like, why can't we just figure, why can't we just give them the draft and it'll be fine? I, I think that is the wrong inclination. These are real people with real lives who who are being impacted by this, and I am glad the players stood up for them. Well, go look up, go look up Sammy Sosa's story. You know, and, and to some people, like, and as you said, two dollars a day. There's a lot of people that get their life changed. I went to the uh, the Dominican Republic Academy. I went there. They have classrooms. They're teaching these kids. They they've got great digs in there. They got wonderful facilities batting cages they they learn english and math and science all day and uh and they read and then at at in the afternoon they play baseball and it's a wonderful situation for a lot of people but you know there's no <laughs> i mean there's no oversight on this sort of thing and so th- there's a lot of advantages that are taken like i forget what the name of the it's a spanish word but somebody that kind of like is the trafficker in peloteros which is you know ball player like uh, it starts with a b and i can't think of it right now it's like buscandos or something like that yeah but- buscandos yeah yeah like they're looking you know uh, that means like to search for and and i and i and you do have to kind of handle that situation because a lot of people do get screwed but it, what does an international draft even look like is what I wonder, like what countries are you including in international? It's a big world. Like, you know, I went, I met with a baseball club in Budapest, Hungary one time. Like, are they included? Probably not. Totally. And, and, you know, like, look, this is, this is, this was a last minute throw in by the owners to try to get one more thing out of the players and it's going to be studied. It's not even a thing that is in this deal. So I want to move on to some of the things that are in this deal, but I, I I'm glad we spent a bunch of time on this. Cause I honestly feel like most people are going to forget about it. And I am already working on a piece for BCB about why cool. this international free agent system thing became such a big deal because I don't want us to forget about it. Like I, some of my favorite players came from that international free agent system. Wilson Contreras was signed out of Venezuela when he was 16 years old. And, and like, there are, real reasons we should pay attention to the system and we should care about it. However, we have a lot more to talk about here. So let's talk about yeah. the big ticket items, the things that really move, the things that are going to that that are going to be big deals. Um let's start with the CBT. The owners came a lot closer to the players than I really thought they ever would. I mean, I, I apologize for not believing <laughs> that they would do that in any meaningful way, but no, they moved on this and and props to them. Uh there is going to be a couple of things going on with the CBT. It starts at $230 million, which is not the $293 million it should have been uh, if it had been rising along with inflation the whole time. But it's much closer than the 210 that the owners wanted to stick with originally. Over the life of the deal, it'll go from 230 to $244 million, which is awesome. Uh, there is, mm-hmm. in addition to the third surcharge, there's a fourth surcharge that we're now calling the Steve Cohen tax. And that's just going to always be a thing. And I think it's funny. So let's, let's live with it. Um, Danny, what do you think about the CBT? Uh, it's not everything we hoped and dreamed of, but I think it's better than what I thought the players would get. I mean, they, yeah, it, it's kind of, 
it's the average thing you could hope for when you don't have structural change happening and you just kind of want to chip away at the ways you've screwed up the last two negotiations. Sure. You're going to take this, uh, you're, you're going to take this and I'm glad it didn't get held up yet. I think it's funny that they're holding uh, Steve Cohen out to dry on this entire thing because now he's going to be like, oh, he's the new Steinbrenner. He'll do anything. He's crazy. He'll spend a million dollars on a middle reliever. He's in care. You know, like, you know, I don't I, I think it's funny because he can play that guy that they can hold up to be the Steinbrenner, which is on their way to a salary cap as they demonize his way of spending, which is market rate spending. You know, like they, they love the free market until they don't. The dude has an $8 million, like formaldehyded shark living in his house, which is weird. Who cares? (laughs) It's all meaningless. The shark's meaningless. The money's meaningless. The Mets are meaningless. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, I I hear you. I agree that he's just paying the market rates and this is going to force some other teams to get closer to the market rates. I think the real winners here, if I'm being honest, are the teams that are close to contending that were right up against the cap. So like the Padres last year did not go over the cap and you could sort of see them this close to chasing down the Giants or the Dodgers and they couldn't do it. They put the team together badly and then they want everybody to feel sorry for them. I don't because of the Padres and I was live in 1984 and I hate them, but, but you know, I, I'm, it's what I'm saying. It's like, you you know, we will get the larger bases. Oh, if you were, we'll make you just, if you're just not quite in, we'll give you that extra two inches. So you're safe instead. And now you're safe. And now the Padres can, you know, get a, a little bit over the tax or, or I don't know. It, it doesn't, none of this matters to me. These are really rich people. <laughs> they should, it, it should be market rates. Like they love the free market until they don't. Then they want socialism. All of a sudden we're like, no, we own you. You're our indentured servant, our indentured player for 10 years. And I know that's hard to like, you know, compare that with like a surf from like 1830s Russia or something. But at the same time, it's like, you don't have control over your career at that point. Like I didn't, you know, I don't face that. You don't face that. You know, most people don't face the fact that you are stuck on this team. Now they're paid handsomely for it if it works out, but you know, that should be worth more than these guys are willing to give. Totally. Uh, we are actually already up against a break. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, but don't go anywhere. We have a lot to talk about on the flip side. We've got the minimum wage to talk about, the pre-arbitration pool, a lot of little miscellaneous things that haven't been getting a ton of coverage that you will definitely want to know about. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, minimum wage. So to be clear, first up, this is still too low. It's not as high as like the NBA gets, for example, for substantially fewer games. Um, But the players get a real bump here. The minimum wage is going to start at $700,000 a year. That is up from $570,000 a year. And then it will raise over the course of the deal to $780,000 a year, which look, if if you're the average player who plays a major league baseball career for three years or so, that puts you looking at $2.1 to $2.5 million over the course of your career. I think that is a much better deal than what players were getting before. Danny, how do you feel about the minimum wage? Yeah, they they can open up a nice IRA. 
<laughs> you know, maybe buy their mama house. <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's great. I, it's a it's a big bump. I agree that I feel like the owners they came uh, down from where the players were, of course, and came up from where they were. But they they had to have the win, so they got the win. I don't I don't think they met in the middle, but they met just below the middle. And it, it feels like the way that they decided to carve it up in order for us to have baseball and not make us, you know, more annoyed by their dilly dallying when we knew that it would end up somewhere around here anyway. Um, you know, I don't feel like they should be like patted on the back for it, but you know, I don't know, seven hundred thousand dollars to play baseball baseball for a year, I'd do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. <laughs> So would Let's most go. people, but I still feel like if you make it to a major league career, you should make a million dollars. And hopefully that's something the players return to at some point in time. Uh, the pre-arbitration pool, which we have spent a lot of time talking about on this show, the players started in the well over hundred million dollar range. The owner started at five. So it is prime example, <laughs> prime <laughs> example is- <laughs> of meeting just somewhere below the middle. Yeah. They, they met at $50 million and the rules are sort of weird. Uh, but basically you, if you have a player who is going to be the rookie of the year, an MVP candidate, going to finish in the top voting tiers of any of those awards at all, uh, that player is going to get a year of service time no matter what. You can no longer manipulate that player's service time, which I think is good. They are also going to get a bonus that is still nowhere near the amount of money that they should make. Chris Bryant's MVP season was definitely a 30 $35 million season under the new system. He would get a bonus of like $1.2 million, which look probably better than the $570,000 he made for that season. But it's let's double. be clear. It's Buy still a lot less. <laughs> Buy mama house. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's better than what it was in the fact that they can't arbitrarily screw these guys over. But you have to also be one of the top players in the world to even achieve uh, eligibility for this, uh, you know, extra money that the billionaires are willing to uh, like kind of like parcel out to. Uh, And they didn't want to. They went from five to 50 like it already it always should have been there. So. It's a win. It's it moves money out of the owner's pockets into the player's pockets that wasn't there before. But, you know, well, and as importantly, it moves money into the player's pockets who weren't making money like this is not more money for Max Scherzer. This is not more money for Mike Trout. This is more money for Patrick Wisdom. This is more money for Raphael Ortega. Like this is more money for the guys who, in my opinion, deserve the money. (laughs) How pissed is Patrick Wisdom tonight? He's like, if this was last year, oh my God. Like, like why was this CBA up? Uh, oh man, poor Patrick Wisdom. And Frank Schwindel, man. Frank Schwindel would have definitely gotten a bonus from that pre arm pool that just, just came into existence. Um, while we're talking about things that impact uh, the the dudes who are who are not making as much money. Let's talk about the draft lottery a little bit in the amateur draft. The amateur draft is going to be 20 rounds, which is lower than it had been in the past. Mike Piazza would not have been drafted in this draft. People just keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen. Um, But there will be a draft lottery uh, for the top six picks in the draft. It will disincentivize tanking a little bit. And I think there are some rules about like how many years you can be in the draft lottery and like how many years you can have a top pick. Anyway, the Orioles days of just like amassing 
number one draft picks because they suck are over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I guess uh, they'll they'll figure out some way around all the rules that they've just made up for themselves. But it, yeah, it seems more fair that. And then there's something about like if you're a top market team that you can't pick. Like the Cubs could not do what they did. Yeah, no, that's that's over. That's over because there, you have to be if you you have to be a small market team to even do it a couple years in a row. After that, you can't pick after tenth. I think is part of it. I, I haven't looked in the nitty gritty of it, um, but hey, you might get a Mike Piazza either way. So like the draft is really less interesting in baseball outside of the top. 10 picks maybe then it's kind of like a whole lot of maybes totally um another thing here that impacts the dudes who are kind of hovering on that line of triple a or the majors players can only be optioned five times a year and that's a big deal for those middle relievers those guys who come in and like throw the second game in a double header and keegan thompson all of a sudden like throw six innings of stellar baseball and his reward for that is to head back to Des Moines for a while. Um, I think that this is a good rule change overall. It will keep the Cubs from running the Iowa shuttle all year. It's also going to force some strategy uh, in terms of how they manage their pitching and who they bring up and when they bring them up. Yeah. Well, it felt like cheating before and now it doesn't. (laughs) So (laughs) You're like, get back on the bus kid. You're like, all right, how does this work? You know, that he just makes the minimum for a day. You know, it's probably great. He buys, goes back, buys everybody Taco Bell because he just had a good payday one day. Along the lines of that rule change, something that is not a rule change in the CBA, but I did see on Twitter today that I think is worth noting. uh, Craig Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus points out that, so there was supposed to be a rule change before 2019 or 2020 where you could only have a maximum of 13 pitchers on the roster. So out of your 26-man roster, 13 of them could be pitchers. Uh, and 13 of them had to be position players, or you could have 14 position players and 12 pitchers, but 13 was the cap for pitchers. Um, That rule was put on hold during the pandemic-shortened season and during last season because of injury concerns for pitchers. That rule is no longer on hold, which means that each team can only roster a maximum of 13 pitchers at a time, and I think that will change some strategy substantially. Yeah, I mean, especially coupled with the players option only five times during a season rule correct you put those two together and yeah yeah uh, yeah it it, it it makes sense i mean and that is actually good for the players because now you actually have to pay for the good talent and you're gonna if you want to compete you're gonna need to have a guy that's a lot more durable and will be I mean, it's harder for that pitcher, but I would assume that that pitcher who is more durable is more valuable. So, yeah, I would agree with that. And I would also think that it incentivizes calling up the pitchers who really deserve that call up at that moment. Right. So, I mean, I, I, you and I have seen this over the years where maybe the best Cubs pitcher in the system in AAA was like an Alzale or something. But they didn't really want to call Alzale up yet. They wanted to call up some random arm that they could use in the second half of a doubleheader and then send right back down. I think now it incentivizes actually calling up the kid who's ready. Yeah, either that or they'll they'll just call up the guy who's not ready because you're not competing five times and then just get rid of you. 
right know, DF, just, more dfas that could happen yeah too. it's like yeah exactly because they have to hit waivers and you're like well i don't care if we lose this guy so let's just run him out there and see what we got and you know it's just like trial by fire i mean there's that's what i'm saying is like there's two sides to all these rules and if they wanted the rule to be the rule there's a reason they wanted that and it's never whether it's good for baseball i don't know yet we have to kind of wait to see how that plays out whether it's good for their their pocketbooks we can guarantee that's why they did it whether they're right or not we don't know yet um because Maybe they're not as smart as they think they are. Uh, Speaking of pocketbook changes, uh, John Becker over at Fangraphs posted the amount of money that each team is going to accumulate towards the CBT based on all the new rule changes. So obviously, if you have more players who are making the league minimum, this actually hits you harder than if you had fewer players who are making the league minimum, which is why at the very bottom of this list, you have the San Diego Padres who are going to take like a $295,000 hit. Somewhere in the top third-ish of this list, you have the Chicago Cubs who are going to take a $2.278 million hit because they were running a lot of bare minimum salary guys out there (laughs) at the end of the season. But at the very top of this list, and I find this, I find this so funny. You have the Rangers, the Pirates, the Orioles, and the A's all taking the biggest hit. And maybe this is why we understand now that the minimum wage and some of these other changes were so difficult to get through because those teams are all taking over $3 million of a hit to their bottom line towards the CBT. And look, we don't think of $3 million as that big of a deal to the Cubs CBT bottom line because the Cubs are supposed to be a team that puts together at least $150 million payroll a year. In Pittsburgh, $3 million is real money, people. Yeah, well, it shouldn't be because they're all billion, you know, they're all billionaires. So, like, you know, do the math on that, and it's just like a a fraction. So, yeah, I I, I don't care. Like, th- spend your money if you want us to watch, if you want us to be engaged and sell us weird looking hats and every new stupid jersey you come out you come out with, and if you want to create interest in your sport, well then you're going to have to pay for it if you want us to pay. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I don't know what to say. concept there, Danny. I know. I, invest in your product. Invest in your players. Give, you know, make them cool. In fact, like them. Because like for, for now, from, I don't know, at least the last decade I've been watching, it doesn't seem like any of the owners actually even enjoy their players as people. Like, they, they don't put them out on... They don't give them endorsement deals. They don't want to. They they go to arbitration meetings to tell them how terrible they are at baseball so they can pay them less. Yeah, that must be depressing as a player. Like you go in to be told, actually, you struck out (laughs) 38 times last year in situations where the bases were loaded. So we shouldn't have to pay you that extra $50,000. Speaking of players and the ability to market themselves, though, I thought this gem was super compelling. Evan Drellich reports that uh, players will have the ability to coordinate with sports betting sites for marketing deals and for licensing their own images. And look, number one, somewhere out there, Shoeless Joe Jackson is rolling over in his grave. The man got banned from baseball for life for the Black Sox scandal. And now like any player can sign a deal with DraftKings to be like the DraftKings catcher of the year or whatever. I don't even know what you call it. But 
that in and of itself is sort of notable to me. And I want your reaction to that, Danny. Um, I read an article the other day about uh, match fixing that uh, there were, there was been a huge rise of match fixing in Europe uh, for soccer matches. And I just, I read that and I was like, yep, here's where we're heading. You know, uh, we're heading into a new uh, charted, but uncharted in this kind of like societal ubiquitous way, you know, and that we're all going to be just gambling and it's going to be maybe integrated with the game and integrated with applications as we watch the game and I'll put ball or strike. I'll just type this green button and maybe I win five cents and just like your iPad will be a slot machine. And like, I can see the future of where, what they want out of the situation. And I don't know that I'm going to enjoy it that much uh, because uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can trust the outcomes of uh, sporting events. I don't know that I can trust players, whether they're on the up and up or you know, not throwing games. I mean, you're bringing gambling into a situation. There's going to be a lot of money at stake and people get compromised by money. And we all know that, like, I'm not saying anything that's, uh, you know, groundbreaking by saying that people get compromised by money, but I thought it was a lot more interesting when we had strong rules separating these things, almost like the uh, Glass-Steagall Act of... um, (laughs) I mean, that's a deep dive for some of you economists out there, but and in politicos, we are now an economics podcast. Yeah, but no, the Glass Eagle Act was that uh, investment banking, the the Wall Street, uh, the the Wall Street uh, uh, casino that exists, and uh, banking banking, where you deposit money and get money out, and they give boring home loans to you. Uh, they were separate and, you know, now they, then they came together and they made basically the housing crisis of 2007, uh, when you were allowed to have them together and, and this had already happened in the thirties. That's how you had the other great depression. So now you're in a situation where you've taken things that have normally been separate sporting and gambling. Uh, you know, they've been, you know, not separate in a wink, wink way because gambling was illegal. Well, now you make gambling legal really quickly and then you take sports and within what, three years, you're allowing them to just like come together as a force where like the players can be, uh, I don't know. I'm a on the field and sponsored by DraftKings at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and and there's and all of a sudden there's they're breaking ground on the sports book next next to Wrigley as well. So I'm kind of looking at it all. I'm like, ah, it's just gonna be like a just a ton of bricks. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, we're gonna find out real fast because it's happening real fast. So uh, you know, at least it's not. I mean, before it was incrementalism. They're like. Okay, you can only smoke weed in Amsterdam. Okay, now <laughs> you, you know, and, now you know, there's a dispensary it, down the street from yeah, Wrigley exactly Field. Wrigley. Yeah, it's everything's fine. Exactly. So you know, I'm just, and that took forty years. You know what I mean? Like now we're just like, okay, okay, you can gamble. Everybody gamble. We're all gambling. Everybody gamble on every. You know, we're all every. You know, you press this button. Green, blue. Blue means strike. 
can you vote on whether it's going to be a slider or bet on that uh, fastball? Like, why not? You know, you can you can have all this uh, these data sets and anyway, I I don't like the looks of it. Is kind of, kind of my take on it. Um, I yeah. Don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, it, it's slippery slope to me. I don't like so I don't like the looks of the gambling angle, but I will say this. MLB does an atrocious job of marketing their players. There are so many fun guys in baseball. There are so many bat flips and fun celebrations and things that should be out there celebrated the second that they happen on Twitter. And bet on. (laughs) And the fact that the league doesn't do anything with any of that, right? That like we have to sit through this dance where Fernando Tatis Jr. has to apologize for hitting a grand slam because he missed the take sign from Jace Tingler. And Jace Tingler is out there taking questions about how, like, he'll have a talking with him about. And I'm like, have a talking with him. You have the most exciting young player in baseball. He hit a grand slam and flipped his bat. It was amazing and incredible. And I want to see it again. Like, I don't want apologies for that. I want that to happen. I want that to happen more often. And look, if he gets like, The next time he comes up, he strikes out and the pitcher does a little strut dance because he struck out the guy who hit a grand slam on him the last time. Great. Do it. Do your strut dance. Like, I don't care. Don't hit a guy for it. Don't ruin their career or like throw a tantrum with a rock at throwing it at someone's head. Just be competitive and fun and spirited. And I, I mean, this is again, one of those things that we've talked about before. It's like the play the game the right way versus like the old guy rules of baseball. And I hate to break it to you, old guys, but your rules of baseball are not all that interesting and nobody wants to watch them. Well, I like that they both exist because then you've got the friction of that. And that's interesting to watch, you know, that you you have some kind of hard asses out there that won't take it. And then you've, you know, then you've got the guy that plays, you know, really loose and, you know, will swing like 17 crucifixes around his head when he hits <laughs> home run. Like I, I enjoy it all, you know, and I like both. Um you know, it's, it's funny because it, it's, I don't see, I I like the chaos of it. So, um, but yeah, they do do a poor job of marketing the players. I just think it's sad that the the way they're going to market them now is like, you know, through gambling sites. I agree with that. I don't want it to be through gambling. I wish that, you know, they, they dropped this Apple TV deal, Uh, the other day, which incidentally, I think was crucial to a deal being made at all. Like, I think the fact that MLB was like, whoops, we've just got deals being announced left, right, and center as we tell the (laughs) players we have no money. We should probably wrap this up. Uh, They're so dumb. Oh, my God. I really feel like that Apple TV deal should be, there should be a component of that that is like, the the broadcaster of the week is Jim Deshays, like a guy who is fun, right? Like a guy who makes you want to watch baseball because he's fun and interesting. Like we are spoiled here in Cubs land because Jim Deshays and Boo Gabby are a great team and they're fun and they're interesting and they're kind of quirky. And that's a good team to listen to. But like, give me the Apple Friday doubleheader called by Bill Walton and Jason Benetti. That's what I want. I want like fun there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do things differently from your ESPNs who bowed out of the situation that they won't be showing them. Like, I think piggybacked on this deal in a completely unrelated way is that Peacock is also doing a a Monday and Wednesday. Yeah, and there's there's more streaming deals to come. I, I feel like they've sold every day of the week. And now it's incumbent on the streaming service to just label it as like Wicked Wednesday Baseball, 
Friday doubleheader. <laughs> Terrible Tuesday to some. I don't know. Well, it's funny because for like five seconds, we all were like, yeah, I'm cutting the cord. Like, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, now you got like 85 different apps and you're just have to like figure that out on your um, uh, fire stick or whatever. Before we go, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was remember Ron Santo tried to understand where MLB TV got streamed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love I miss Ronnie so much. Man, Ronnie would be losing his mind over this today. Well, we're getting back to it. So now, like, even millennials would be confused. They're like, I don't know, you gotta be Gen Z to figure this out. You know, like <laughs> oh. we're getting right back to the tangle. It's just a different tangle. All right. So uh, before we log off here, there are a couple of more things that I want to talk about that I have not seen a ton of discussion about. So I want to make sure we comment on them. Uh, If you recall, MLB had two grievances that they had lodged against um, or the MLB Players Association had two grievances that they had lodged against MLB. There was a 2020 grievance about the pandemic shortened season and that the league had not acted fairly with regards to all of that. There's also a revenue sharing grievance Um, The 2020 pandemic shortened season grievance was dropped as a condition of this CBA. So it's gone. The revenue sharing grievance lives. So that is still hanging out there and will be uh, adjudicated at some later date. And then finally, um, the, there's a new rule. If you paid attention to the Kumar rocker draft where he got drafted like seventh or eighth by the Mets and then, Uh, They didn't like something in his physical, so they just didn't pay him the slot money at all. And he basically just has to go through the draft all over again. That has been amended. Mark Fysand reports that uh, the top 300 players who participate in the MLB Combine will submit to a physical at the Combine. And if you do that, you are guaranteed to get 75% of whatever draft slot you take. So I, I think that's a good rule to protect players going into the draft. What about you? Yeah, I mean, anything that makes things seemingly more fair. And, I mean, this is just about garnering information. So, you know, the players should be – the team should be diligent about, uh, you know, drafting players that they think that they want to deal with physically and from a financial standpoint. And, you know, the player should have some protection too that they're going to at least, if they get drafted – get some guaranteed money, you know, regardless of the mistakes that that team made totally. is what happened there. And last, but certainly, certainly not least, this is not in the CBA, but it is notable. And it came out on Twitter earlier today. Uh, Unvaccinated players can't play in Canada next season and will not accrue service time for any of the games that they miss in Canada because they're not vaccinated. And like, I just feel like it's worth noting that we still live in a pandemic and baseball is an international sport. And there's still some complications here that have nothing to do with the current CBA that we're still going to have to hear about drama side. Well, you know, we got a lot of known unknowns out there right now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to borrow from, uh, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that guy, but, uh, the, uh, it, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where Omicron it swept through, you have a lot of people, uh, extra antibodies in the, if you can go look up, uh, do go do your own research as they say, and, uh, see about, you know, how the pandemics work and about the two, three year period, 
you start coming out of a lot of this stuff because a lot of people got it. So I think the Canada's, um, I don't know what they're doing up there. You got truckers going nuts. They're doing, you know, convoys and stuff. I don't know what that's all about really or why they're doing it. But, um, you know, it, I, it's, I think that this is going to change. I think this is a, a, something with moving parts as I look at it without judging it from, from, uh, afar, but it's, it seems like, um, I, I think that by year's end, this, uh, will be a non-story. The Canada well, thing. We're going to find out. And if it is a story, you will hear about it here on Cup of Cubby Blue. But in the meantime, Danny and I are just probably going to get drunk and celebrate on Twitter the fact that we have baseball to watch <laughs> this year. And what that means for you is that we are going to be coming back every Monday through spring training. But once the season starts, you can hear from us series by series with what you need to know going into the next series, what happened in the last series, and everything you need to know about your Chicago Cubs who are playing 162 games this season. Danny, in the meantime, where can people find you and your rants? At Sunranto. At Sunranto, yeah. people. You can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find both of us at, at Cup of Cubby Blue. We are so thankful that baseball is back and we can't wait to share a whole season with you. Till next time.